Hello out there and welcome to Epic Episode 28 of Random Song Encounters. Yes, you found us. Uh, you've entered our diatribe free zone this week where here we only indulge in good vibes and cool music. So what else can you ask for? Uh, maybe a cocktail here and there, but hey, you know, we'll work on that. Once again, sending this out to you from our so-called SoCal Desert Happy Place. Sounds uh, like the West Coast is getting a, a little drenched uh, by the latest storm passing through. But uh, out here looking out the window, uh, nothing much happening except uh, some dark stuff uh, in the sky so far. So uh, maybe we'll get something, maybe we won't. But uh, hey, can always use a little rain in the desert. We're up to episode 28, as I mentioned, and uh, we're naming this one, I'm Your Pioneer course not in the sense of something like the Donner Party who were headed out west back in the old western days and became stranded in the dead of winter and resulted in cannibalism and all died you know uh, nothing like that you know we're more pioneering like uh, pioneering thoughts and uh, new ways to learn about and enjoy great music that's what we're here for and it's random you know, we're, we're spanning seven decades here, which uh, you don't find ever uh, really on any other podcast. I'm your guide, Gene Vincent, and uh, I'm here as your guide, keep you in the, keeping this wagon train on the right path. We've got a ton of great tracks for you, as usual, this week. So let's jump right into segment one, start off with something from 1980, uh, written about the Hollywood Boulevard. Here you go. See you on the other end. Can't be one 
I'm going to get you because I'm a pioneer. <laughs> there you go. Segment one in the books, Random Song Encounters, episode 28. And talk about random. That's uh, Those five songs span seven decades from 1967 through this year, 2024. So let's go back to the beginning of the segment, see what we covered. Uh, we start off with Jackson Brown out of L.A., his song Boulevard, off his 1980 LP Holdout, which was his sixth. Uh, he started out the age 16 writing songs for others. Uh, some folks like Nico of, uh, oh God, I'm losing my mind, uh, uh, Nitty Gritty Dirt Band, which he was a member of for a very short period of time. Even the Eagles, uh, he co-wrote Take It Easy, uh, early, you know, one of the early tunes or big hits in their, their career. Then he decided to go off and you know write for himself and ended up getting a deal and released his self-titled debut back in 1972 when he was about 24. Uh, this particular album, Hold Out, is his only album to date to reach number one on the Billboard charts. Uh, the song itself, as I mentioned, uh, uh, is about Hollywood Boulevard in particular. He used to live nearby Hollywood Boulevard uh, uh, and around that scene. Uh, when he was, you know, you know, just getting started in the music business, as a, as a lot of uh, folks do that are trying to get into music or film or whatever it might be, uh, entertainment genre. Uh, the song is about uh, runaways and the Hollywood Boulevard scene uh, uh, when he was living there. Uh, there's this used to be, I assume it's gone by now, but a place called Gold Cup where a lot of teen runaways would hang out and, uh, uh, you know, just a bad scene. Uh, Jackson Brown's last LP, uh, he's still out there making music, touring, was released, in, he released an LP in 2021, and he just uh, completed a tour uh, last year, 2023. Uh, so uh, check him out, you know, still putting out music, uh, you know, a lot of great old stuff in particular that uh, that I really like, but I uh, wanted to play that one for you. After that, uh, we heard from Black Lab out of Berkeley, California, and their song Time Ago from their 1997 LP, Your Body Above Me, which was their debut. Uh, they formed in 1996, and the band name comes from uh, a couple of their, their musical influences that uh, they, they really enjoyed. It's a combination of Black Sabbath, and Stereo Lab, so they took the two names, kind of merged them together, and came up with Black Lab. Paul Durham is the founding member of the group and the front man. Uh, he writes most of the material and and uh, and is the lead vocalist. And uh, like I said, another one of those groups, uh, you know, 1997, not that long ago, so they're still out there touring, releasing new music, uh, great stuff, and uh, the latest music I think they put out was just last year in 2023 so uh, fairly new stuff I haven't heard it yet but I'll have to check it out after that we went all the way back to 1966 and a group called The Seeds also out of LA um, we're hitting California here pretty hard right off the bat uh, their song Pushing Too Hard uh, from their debut LP as well called The Seeds they formed in 65 uh, out of a breakup of a prior short-lived band that a couple of members were in called Amoeba, not to be uh, 
you know, uh, associated with Amoeba music, but uh, so the group was called Amoeba. Uh, they began rehearsing and initially played regular gigs at a club in L.A. called Beto Lido's. Uh, I'm sure that's not around any, any longer. Uh, the band is one of the first to use a keyboard bass instead of a regular bass guitar. Uh, it became more famous later on in the 60s, or you know, right, right behind that. Uh, by Ray Manzarek uh, as of the Doors, uh, they they famously used the the keyboard bass instead of a, having a bass guitar player. Uh, the front man of the group, Sky Saxon, vocal style, uh, and you might hear a little bit of of that in this particular song is was influenced by Mick Jagger, The Stones. Um, the group parted ways in 1970, uh, but they have since reunited and they're out touring around. Uh, so you can catch them here and there, uh, although it doesn't include Sky Saxon, uh, uh, who passed away in 2009, but they're still out there touring, and they, they actually released new music, I think it looks like 2021, they released a single. So check them out, Pushing Too Hard by The Seeds. After that, uh, we heard something a little southern-tinged, but not from the south, uh, a group called Delaney and Bonnie, also out of L.A., Coming Home was the name of the track off their 1970 LP, D&B Together, uh, which was their seventh LP. They are a husband and wife team, Delaney and Bonnie Bramlett, and they front, the, the name of their group uh, they is called was called Delaney and Bonnie and Friends uh, from just a short period of time, 1969-1970 kind of period. Uh, they called Delaney and Bonnie and Friends because they didn't have a regular band that uh, backed them up. They they had regular changes of personnel, and famous personnel at that 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 supported them uh, throughout their their short career. Uh, they had folks like you know Dwayne and Greg Allman, Eric Clapton, George Harrison, Leon Russell, who we talked about before, Dave Mason, Steve Howe from the Yes, Rita Coolidge, and the list goes on and on and on. Uh, so they they had a lot of a lot of support in their, in their during their short career. Uh, Delaney Bramlett and Leon Russell uh, got together to put this thing together. They both had connections from a lot of prior work they had done with prior bands and projects and decided to put something together and build it around Delaney and Bonnie. Um, although short-lived and, and kind of this album is kind of, the name of the album is kind of, you know, weird in that uh, it's the last of the new material that they ever released, and they s d divorced soon after it was released. So, you know, go figure. But uh, Delaney and Bonnie, check them out. They got a lot of good, uh, a lot of good music. Uh, Eric Clapton was a big, big fan, and and, and uh, actually co-wrote this particular song. So, check them out. Uh, last but not least, in this particular segment, we heard from a band called the No Good Crowd out of Philadelphia, and their song Pioneer which we named our episode this week after. Uh, it's a brand, brand, brand spanking new track, 2024, non-album single. As a matter of fact, they don't, haven't released any albums yet. They've, re they've only released two singles, this being the second. They formed in uh, just last year in 2023. And uh, again, out of a breakup of a prior band uh, the, called Cordeline, who some of you, you know, newer you know, kids uh, associated with some of the newer music may have heard of. Uh, like I say, they're brand spanking new. Uh, this particular song, though, is a cover 
from uh, an original by the same name pioneer uh, from a group called from Boston called the Bags, uh, back from 1987. Uh, they were a popular, popular group back in the East Coast, but never, never made it big. Uh, one of the members of this band, uh, the No Good Crowd, was back visiting in Boston and heard it either the bags were performing uh, somewhere or heard it from, through someone or at a club or something and brought it back to the band and said hey this is a really great track we should do something this with this and, and record it for ourselves and uh, they did it and uh, uh, turned out really great love it uh, so there you have it episode one in the books we're continuing to keep this wagon train on the tracks headed for points unknown but we're right now we're going to head right into segment two and a tune from 1974 um, from a band from L.A. But the song isn't in a, al, about L.A. It's about a different city. Here you go.
wrong they came to make a bang don't speak 
by the Eagles of Death Metal. Segment two closed out there, and uh, let's start off with that one and, and work our way backwards as we usually do. On segment two, um, Eagles of Death Metal, local, local here to the desert, right next door to us here in Palm Desert, as a matter of fact, um, off their 2006 LP, Death by Sexy, uh, which was their second LP. Song again, Don't Speak, I Came to Make a Bang. Uh, they formed in 1998. A couple of guys, best friends for a long t- period of time. A guy named Jesse Hughes, who's on guitar and vocal, and Josh Holm on drums, who you uh, likely know, if you know the name, uh, as the front man for Queens of the Stone Age. Um, they are the only two permanent members of the bang- band. <laughs> bang. Uh, stuck on bang there. Uh, they're the only two permanent members of the band as they, uh, you know, collaborate with other other musicians uh, uh, when they go to record. Uh, Josh Holm, you know, plays multiple instru- instruments anyway, but they've collaborated with the likes of uh, Dave Grohl and and Jack Black and, you know, like say, um, it's a it's an ongoing uh, plethora of uh, musicians that uh, work with them uh, in this particular project. Um, all of the other in- interesting fact fact is even though uh, Josh Holm is a permanent member, of the, one of the only two permanent members of the band, band, he rarely performs with the band live because of his other commitments with Queens of the Stone Age. So uh, he's there to record, but they have someone filling in for him when it comes time to, to tour. Uh, there are a couple of stories surrounding how the band's band name came to be. Uh, they're, they're both very similar, uh, you know. Obviously, Queens. Of the, I mean, <laughs> mixing the two bands up. Eagles of Death Metal are not a death metal band. Uh, obviously, you can tell by the sound if you any, know anything about what death metal is. Uh, but um, both both versions talk about uh, a friend of theirs that uh, brings them a song and says, "Hey, uh, have you heard this tune by X? You know, uh, band." Uh, they're they're a death metal band, and they played the song. And Josh Holm will typically say, "You know, those guys aren't death metal. They're not even close. They're like the Eagles of death metal." So uh, from that, they they started thinking about, well, you know what? What would what would a mixture of the Eagles and death metal sound like? So that's where the band name came from, and that's kind of. If you want to believe that, what they're trying to emulate uh, is a cross between the two. Certainly hard rocking, uh, but lyrically and, and musically, uh, you know, great tunes as well. Uh, the band was, uh, if you haven't heard, you know, way back in 2015, there was this, the, the uh, uh, Islamic terrorist attack at the Bataclan Theater in Paris, uh, uh, where about 90 concert goers were killed. Uh, Eagles of Death Metal were the band playing there that night. Uh, they were just getting ready to start one of their songs uh, when the terrorists stormed the place and, like say, killed about 90 folks there. Uh, the band were able to escape uh, off the back of the stage, and then uh, even a couple of them may have hidden in dressing rooms until the police came and uh, uh, evacuated the place. But uh, uh, they weren't. They they didn't return to Paris. Uh, it was. Such an emotional, uh, uh, something so emotional to go through that it took them a year before they came back. I think they played, uh, 
they came on the show invited by U2 and played a couple of songs with uh, uh, with U2 uh, just to you know just in the return and they vowed to return and play again uh, they wanted to pay it, play at the Battle Battle Clan uh, not sure if they did that because there were some issues between the band and uh, something some things they said about uh, you know uh, the security folks and things of that sort but uh, uh, they have since returned and played in Paris. Uh, prior to that, we heard the auteurs out of the UK and their 1993 song Showgirl off their debut LP called New Wave. Uh, their frontman Luke Haynes created the band uh, after he left his prior band called The Servants. Um, they put together a demo tape, uh, played a gig in 1992 at a place called the Houston Rails Club, and out of those two uh, processes... Uh, they were able to get a record deal. Uh, an auteur, if you don't know, is likened to like um, the sole creative force behind a project. So you know, like, and it's mostly associated with filmmaking, uh, where like the director is the sole creative force. He may have written the screenplay and and you know, of course, directed it, and maybe he's producing as well. You know, but, but like, say, it's more it's the sole creative force. Like, it, in in music, it would be someone. You know, they they write and record and produce and you know do everything associated with so there's nobody else no other outside influences um, the band unfortunately broke up in 1999 uh, but were able to release four LPs in the process uh, some good tracks and uh, good uh, really nice group out of the the Britpop uh, scene back in the 90s prior to that we went to the 80s 1984 to be exact and Blancmange out of the UK as well. Uh, their song Don't Tell Me, uh, their Mange Trout second LP. They formed in London in 1979, and obviously, well, you can tell by the tune, synth pop duo. Uh, a couple of guys, Neil Arthur and Stephen Luscombe. Uh, the band name is taken from a dessert, uh, which is like a custard like thing, uh, <laughs> the same name called Blanc Mange. Uh, they signed a recording contract. Uh, off of exposure they got uh, they had submitted a track that was accepted and, and included in a compilation album uh, with various other new wave, new, new wave acts at the, at the time uh, and off of uh, you know somebody got a hold of that heard it and signed them up and off they went uh, this particular album is their most successful uh, release and it, the song in particular goes back and recaptures this kind of Middle Eastern tinge sound uh, that uh, was used uh, originally on their most popular song, uh, some of you may have heard called Living on the Ceiling. Uh, the band actually broke up in 1986, um, but reformed uh, in the 2000s, late 2000s probably, and uh, they're out there again, uh, back together again, new music and performing. Uh, unfortunately, Stephen Luscombe uh, was forced to leave uh, the band uh, due to health issues, uh, but uh, you know Neil Arthur is still out there touring as Blanc Mange and uh, you know catch him out there. Not sure that he's releasing any more new music as the group, but but he's still out there touring. After that, or prior to that, we heard, of course, the one and only The Doors, out of L.A. Their 1967 track "Backdoor Man" off their debut album, The Doors. Uh, they formed in 65. Uh, you, know, you may or may not know how they 
they got, they came up with the name, but uh, it's from a book called The Doors of Perception that they were, the band name the band or one member at least the band had read and uh, drew the doors out of that. Uh, the group started uh, from a chance meeting between Jim Morrison and Man Ray Manzarek at Venice Beach. Uh, they ran into each other and, and knew of each other uh, from attending UCLA uh, in, in class to get some some classes together. Uh, and that they had a conversation, and Jim Morrison confided confided in uh, Ray that he had been writing songs. So Ray, you know, suggested and he said, "Hey, you know, let me see what you got. Uh, sing one for me." And uh, Jim broke one out, and uh, uh, Ray was inspired and started thinking, "Hey, this is great. These lyrics are awesome. And what what could he possibly do musically to?" To make to bring them to the two together and and hence the doors were born. Um, the original band, uh, once they once they went through a couple of initial lineup changes, uh, started you know playing shows around town in L.A. and they they played at originally a little club called uh, London Fog, which is kind of a dive joint from all uh, everything I've I've heard um, doesn't exist any longer. But then later on, they became the house band at the Whiskey A Go Go. All they were, fi although they were fired uh, at the end of a uh, right as they started to, to uh, record their first album, uh, and they got a record, had a record contract anyway. But there was some issue with an extended version of the song "The End" that they performed, and Jim Morrison got it went off on a tangent, and uh, the owner of the whiskey didn't take care for it and fired him on the spot. Uh, this particular song, Backdoor Man, is, a, is a, another cover. It's uh, from 1960, uh, so not that old, but uh, it's, it's written by one of the great blues icons, Willie Dixon, and it was originally re released by and recorded and released by another uh, blues legend, Helen Wolfe. So the Doors took that and made it their own. Uh, you know, everybody knows the Doors story from, you know, it's, it's in hard... It's, it's been written about it's 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 you know there's movies about it there's documentaries about it uh one of the most influential and controversial bands of the 60s uh mainly due to jim morrison and his lyrics his voice uh as well as his his erratic behavior legal issues and of course his untimely death and the legend you know that goes along with that so uh, but hey great track and the doors had to you knew we were going to get fit him in there in one of these episodes and uh, back to the beginning of segment two. We heard from a, another group from L.A., although, again, they don't sound like a group from L.A. They sound like a southern-tinged group or, uh, named Little Feet. And there's tune O Atlanta uh, from 1974 off their fourth LP called Feats Don't Fail Me Now. They formed in 1969. Uh, they were formed by frontman, you know, uh, a guy named Lowell George. Uh, he, at the time, was in the band, in Frank Zappa's band, Mothers of Invention, and Frank fired him, famously fired him, and there was a couple of versions of why he fired him. One, one was like, you know, Frank uh, saw really how good Lowell George was and said, you know, you're too good to be just hanging out as a member of a band and you need to go out and do something for yourself and, and uh, you know, uh, work and, you know, lead a band. So let him go. The other one is... The other story is that Lowell um, wrote a song called Willin that was popular by Little Feet uh, that was written about drug use and, and of course Frank Zappa was famously you know, not into the drug culture and, and any of that stuff so he fired him because of that song. Uh, 
of course, I tend to think more of the first one because, you know, at the end of the day, Frank Zappa uh, was instrumental in getting Little Feet a contract and, and helping them release their first LP back in 1971. The name of the band, Little Feet, funny story, uh, was uh, came up with uh, by uh, the Mothers of Invention, uh, Invention drummer at the time, uh, was joking around about <laughs> Lil George's Little Feet. So uh, Lil took that took the name but changed the spelling uh, in a homage to uh, the Beatles spelling. You know, the Beatles, instead of the B-E-E-T-L-E-S, they used the B-E-A-T, like beat, uh, you know, beat the drum. Uh, so uh, Lil George changed the spelling of feet to F-E-A-T. Uh, so there you have that little fun fact. Um, the band is uh, continuing out there, recording music, touring, although with a mostly new lineup. Uh, starting in 1988, uh, Lowell Georgia actually left the group in, in around 96 or so and then passed away in 1979 uh, at the young age of 34 from heart failure. Uh, but like I say, Little Feet, is still, uh, as a, uh, most of the other band members are still out there touring. They had a new uh, music release in 2020. So there you have it, segment two. And we're still pioneering our way through the episode. And we're all the way to the end of the last segment, segment three. And we're going to jump right in with a tune from 1993 by Archers of Loath. Catch you later. Stuck a pin in your backbone. Spoke you down to
There you have it, segment three in the books. Put me on a pedestal and I'll only disappoint you. Great words. <laughs> great lyrics. Great track. Let's go back to the game segment so we can get to the end of the show. Uh, we start off with Web in Front, name of the tune, by a group called Archers of Loaf out of North Carolina. Uh, it's off their debut LP uh, called Icky Melt uh, from 1993. They formed a couple of years prior to that in 91 and uh, actually put it out themselves. They put out a single in 92 and gave it away free uh, with the initial issue of a new political-based magazine out of Brooklyn. I think it was called Stay Free. Don't, I don't know that it lasted very long, but uh, hey, it worked for them. Out of that, they got a record deal, and they released a second single uh, the, the following year. This particular tune, as a matter of fact, was their second single. It came out prior to the release of their of the uh, 93 LP, Icky Melt. Uh, the album itself recorded in a week and cost about five grand to make. So, you know, thrifty guys uh, got it out. Great, great uh, band, great, great track there. Uh, unfortunately, they broke up about five years later, 98, uh, but they have reformed uh, in 2011 and they're touring and releasing music. Uh, the last thing they put out was a couple of years ago, 2022. Um, not sure where the name comes from, Archers of Loaf. It's you know, pretty obscure, but it kind of keeps with the, uh, the band and their quirkiness and you know, their lyrical style and song titles even. You know, they have songs like Hate Paste, Audio Horror, and Vocal Shrapnel. Um, you know, the, the one uh, line in this particular song uh, that uh, sticks with me, or at least one of them. There's a lot of them in the song. It's just, you're not the... You're not the one who let me down, but thanks for offering. Uh, great, great song. I wanted to include that one for sure this week. Archers of Loaf, check them out. After that, we went back to 1984 and Dwight Twilly out of Oklahoma originally, but uh, uh, moved in, moved to L.A., of course, as a lot of folks do, uh, for a, a music career. And uh, this is off his third solo LP uh, called Jungle, and the tune's called Girls. Uh, Dwight met another uh, guy uh, called a guy named Phil Seymour uh, in 1967. Another one of those random meetings. They had both been to see the same movie, The Beatles, The Hard Day's Night. Ran into each other, started a conversation. Uh, found they were both, in, you know, heavy into music and, and writing songs. So they began to write together, and record together. Uh, started a group called Oyster. Uh, not their typical spelling. It's O I S T E R instead of the Shellfish, uh, O-Y-S-T-E-R. Uh, they eventually decided to move to L.A. Uh, and you know, got a contract with Shelter Records, none, none other than Leon Russell, Danny Cordell, who we've talked about all the way back to episode one and, and tinged throughout much of the other episodes. Uh, they seem to surface all over the place. Uh, they immediately changed their name, got away from the Oyster, and d called it Dwight Twilly Band, which kind of, uh, didn't sit well with Phil Seymour and it kind of was know, the reason uh, they eventually split up uh, a few years later in 78. Uh, Twilly went on to start his own solo career as did uh, as did Phil Seymour who had uh, a couple of hits on his own. Um, Twight's released 
over 20 LPs over the years through 2014, but uh, uh, he had, did pass away last year in 2023 from stroke. So uh, sorry to see him go, but uh, hey, great tunes here. Uh, he had another group, great song. I think his biggest hit calls, it's called I'm on Fire, I think it was. But uh, there you go, Dwight Twilley. After that, we heard from Donovan out of Scotland and his tune Barabajaggle off the 1990, 1969 LP of the same name, the Brab, Brabajaggle, which was his seventh. His uh, real name's Donovan Leach, uh, so you can search him through that, but his, his stage name is, is simply Donovan. Uh, he began playing the guitar around 14 and uh, was influenced by his, his family's love of folk music, so he, he kind of morphed into the folk music, music world because of that. Uh, dropped out of high school, art school, uh, uh, early on and decided to go on the road and live a beatnik life. Uh, so he spent months and months uh, playing in clubs and began writing his own songs until 1964 uh, when he finally got a, a, a contract uh, in the music business. Um, his music became associated with kind of the whole 60s, late 60s uh, flower power movement and he was, he was really involved in that. Uh, this, sound, this particular um, this song and, and a few of his other songs from this album in particular were uh, produced from at least one session where Donovan was actually the fronted by uh, fronted the Jeff Beck group band. Um, the title was made up uh, from a name of for, well it was meant to be the name of a seductive lover mentioned in the song and is taken from the phrase Goo Goo Gajoob from the Beatles song, I Am the Walrus. So he kind of took that phrase, goo goo gajoob, and, and turned it into Baraba Jackal. Uh, and they go goo goo Baraba Jackal in the song all the, throughout the tune. Uh, in addition uh, to the Jeff Beck group that he was fronting at the time, uh, Nicky Hopkins, famous uh, session keyboard player, was on the track, as well as uh, uh, Susie Quattro, who had a great solo career in her own right, uh, and providing backing vocals on that track. Uh, Donovan's still out there making music as of 2022 and, and still performing. So, uh, you know, if you're into the folk music, he's got a lot of, I mean, he was big, big, big in the 60s and 70s. Uh, tons of hits, you know, Atlantis and, uh, you, know, you know, the rest don't come to me right off the top of my head, but, you know, just a, just a ton of hits through that period of time and a really big artist. After that, we went to 1978 and a group called 999 out of the UK and their song Homicide from their 78 uh, LP, their second LP called Separates. Uh, they formed in 76, uh, two brothers uh, in stardom. It's a family, kind of a family thing. Uh, a guy named Nick Cash and Guy Days. Uh, they placed an ad for band members to, uh, to you know, pick up some other folks to, to, to contribute in the band and famously turned down some really big, what turned out to be some really big names uh, Chrissy Hine from the Pretenders uh, was turned down. John Moss, Culture Club, who later a later Culture Club was also turned down, and then Tony James, who ended up in Generation X, all were turned down as part of uh, uh, trying to fill spots for 999. The band name is taken from uh, UK, U, the UK's equivalent uh, of the our what we call in the U.S. the 9911 emergency call. In the U.K. it's 999, so that's, uh, that was an easy one. Uh, they actually financed their own first single 
and got a re record uh, contract as a result of the you know how well it uh, it did out uh, in sales uh, in the U.S. The album is uh, is goes under a different name. So if you're looking for separates, it might be hard to find if you're in the U.S. Uh, it's actually called High Energy Plan here. It's got a different cover from the separates cover from the U.K. And there's even a couple of different tracks. Uh, they swapped a couple of tracks out in the U in the U.S. version versus the original U.K. version. Uh, the band actually broke up twice during the 80s, but have since reformed and there's still another one of those bands that are still out there recording and touring. So uh, check them out again, uh, 999. And then to close out the show, uh, we ended up with uh, Australian artist Courtney Barnett uh, and her song Pedestrian at Best off her 2015 LP, Sometimes I Sit and Think and Sometimes I Just Sit which was her debut, uh, her debut LP. She re released a couple of uh, EPs prior to that. Uh, she actually worked as a pizza delivery driver in, in Australia while pursuing her music career. Uh, she played in, in several bands from 2010 to 2013 until she was able to, to release her own first EP on her own label. She got the money to, uh, to uh, start her own label and release this EP from money she borrowed from her grandmother. Uh, and she got an actual uh, record deal to follow that up in 2013 and from there released a second LP and then finally this uh, the f this first LP. This particular track was, was written virtually at the last minute of the, during the recording sessions for the album. Uh, it took about eight days to, to record the album and uh, the recorded version was actually the first time she sang the lyrics out loud so that's, it was like last minute they threw it together they sang it, uh, she sang it, and that was the track they used. So uh, the album title, another little funny story, the album title itself uh, is inspired by a poster uh, she saw hanging in her grandmother's bathroom, one of those little ditties when you're looking around the bathroom and you see these little posters and, you know, they have those, or whether in the kitchen, uh, little, little phrases around, that hang around there, but uh, this one came out of her grandmother's bathroom. Uh, actually saw Courtney Barnett at Coachella right after this album was released the, the following year in 2016 uh, and she put a you know great great high energy show together uh, just just loved it and uh, you know three piece it was her on guitar and then she had a drummer and a bass player and uh, they really rocked it um, she actually has tour dates already set for early 2024 in the spring She's going to be visiting, at least in the U.S., she's going to be visiting like South Carolina, Texas, Utah, and California. She's playing, uh, I think, a date uh, in Redondo Beach in early May, something like that. But, uh, you know, if you haven't seen Courtney Barnett, Barnett check her out. Uh, she's uh, great to see live. And there you have it. Episode 28. I'm your pioneer in the books. Let's move on and close this thing out. All right, there you have it. Thank you for joining us this week, episode 28. I'm your pioneer as we wound our way through the <laughs> through the forests and the trees and the the plains and the the waters and wherever else 
trying to stray on the stay on the straight and narrow headed west to uh, find our fortune and fame and uh, a little land whatever whatever we can make out of our, our pioneer trip uh, with the wagon train so uh, thank you for joining us always a pleasure uh, like as usual if you've got anything any suggestions please uh, let us know we love to hear from you and uh, looking forward to bringing episode 29 to you next week so uh, enjoy the rest of your week and as usual remember don't forget to share the good stuff bye for now <laughs>